Volume two, chapters nine and ten of the Widow Barnaby by Francis Milton Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter nine. Major Allen pays a visit at Bath productive of important results. Sympathy between himself and the Widow Barnaby. Exchange is no robbery. Valedictory compliments the adventures of major allen have no connection with this narrative excepting as far as the widow barnaby is concerned and therefore with his business at bath or anything he did there we have nothing to do beyond recording about ten minutes conversation which he chanced to have with one individual of a party with whom he passed the evening after his arrival among the many men of various ages who were accustomed to meet together wherever those who lived by their wits were likely to prosper there was on this occasion one young man who had but recently evinced the bad ambition of belonging to the set major allen had never seen him before but hearing him named as a famous fine fellow who was likely to do them honour he scrupled not to converse with perfect freedom before him the most interesting thing he had to record since the party last met was the history of his engagement with the widow barnaby whom he very complacently described as extremely handsome passionately in love with him and possessed of a noble fortune both in money and land the nestor of the party asked him with very friendly anxiety if he had been careful to ascertain what the property really was as it was no uncommon thing for handsome widows to appear richer than they were thank you for nothing most sage conjurer replied the gay major age has not thinned my flowing hair but i'm not such a greenhorn neither as to walk blindfold in the first place the lady is sister-in-law to old peters one of the wealthiest of turtle-eaters and it was from one of his daughters that i learned the real state of her affairs an authority that may be the better depended on because though they receive her as a sister and all that it is quite evident that they are by no means very fond of her in fact they are rather a stiff-backed generation whereas my widow is as gay as a lark is she a bristol woman inquired one of the party no she is from devonshire was the reply the name of her place is silverton park silverton in devonshire said the young stranger may i ask the lady's name sir her name is barnaby replied major allen briskly do you happen to know anything about her the widow barnaby of silverton oh to be sure i do and a fine woman she is too no doubt of it she is the widow of our apothecary the widow of an apothecary no such thing sir you mistake altogether replied the major do you happen to know such a place as silverton park i never heard of such a park sir but i know silverton well enough said the young man and i know her house or what was her house as well as i know my own father's which is at no great distance from it neither and i know the shop and the bow window belonging to it and a very pretty decent dwelling-house it is major allen grew fidgety he wanted to hear more but he did not approve the publicity of the conversation and contrived at the moment to put a stop to it but contrived also to make an appointment with his new acquaintance to breakfast together on the following morning and before their allowance of tea and toast was dispatched major allen was not only fully disenchanted respecting silverton park and the four beautiful greys but quite au fait of the reputation for running up bills which his charmer had enjoyed previous to her marriage with the worthy apothecary it was this latter portion of the discourse which completed the extinction of the major's passion and this so entirely that he permitted himself not to inquire as he easily might have done into the actual state of the widow's finances but feeling himself on the edge of a very frightful precipice he ran off in the contrary direction too fast to see if there were any safe mode of descending without a tumble 
it may indeed be doubted whether the snug little property actually in possession of his juno would have been sufficient for his honourable ambition even had he been as sure of her having and holding it as she was herself for to say the truth he rated his own price in the matrimonial market rather highly had great faith in the power of his height and fashionable tournure and confidence unbounded in his large eyes and collier grec it is true indeed that he had failed more than once and that too when the fair cause of all his pain had given him great reason to believe that she admired him much nevertheless his self-approval was in no degree lessened thereby nor was it likely to be so long as he could oil and trim his redundant whiskers without discovering a grey hair in them in short what with his well-sustained value for himself and his much depreciated value for the widow he left bath boiling with rage at the deception practised upon him and arrived at clifton determined to trust to his skill for obtaining a peaceful restitution of the promise of marriage without driving his juno to any measures that might draw upon them the observation of the public a tribunal before which he was by no means desirous of appearing the state of mrs barnaby's mind respecting this same promise of marriage has already been described wherefore it may be perceived that when major allen made his next morning visit at sion row a much greater degree of sympathy existed between himself and the widow than either imagined it was in the tactics of both however to meet without any appearance of diminished tenderness and when he entered with a smile that had so often gladdened her fond heart she stretched out a hand to welcome him with such softness of aspect as made the deluded gentleman tremble to think how difficult a task lay before him neither was mrs barnaby's heart at all more at ease who could doubt the sincerity of the ardent pressure with which that hand was held who could have thought that while gazing upon her in silence that seemed to indicate feelings too strong for words he was occupied solely in meditating how best he could get rid of her for ever the conversation was preluded by a pretty well-sustained passage of affectionate inquiries concerning the period of absence and then the major ejaculated yes my sweet friend i have been well in health but it is inconceivable what fancies a man truly in love finds to torment himself whilst the widow mentally answered him perhaps you were afraid i might see your friend maintry stuck up in the pillory or peeping at me through the country prison windows but aloud she only said with a smile a little forced what fancies major i am almost afraid to tell you he replied you will think me so weak so capricious this word capricious sounded pleasantly to the widow's ears it seemed to hint at some change some infidelity that might make her task an easier one than she expected and assuming an air of gaiety she said nay if such be the case speak out without a shadow of reserve major allen for i assure you there is nothing in the world i admire so much as sincerity sincerity muttered the half-entrapped fortune-hunter aside confound her sincerity and then replied aloud will you promise me dear friend to forgive me if i confess to you a fond folly mrs barnaby quaked all over she felt as if fresh grappling irons had been thrown over her and that escape was impossible nay really said she after a moment's reflection i think fond follies are too young a joke for us major they may do very well for agnes perhaps but i think you and i ought to know better by this time if i can but make him quarrel with me thought she that would be better still if i can but once more coax her to let me have my way thought he the business would be over in a moment beauty like yours is of no age he exclaimed 
it is immortal as the passion it inspires and when joined with such a heart and temper as you possess becomes i do assure you major said the widow interrupting him rather sharply you will do wrong if you reckon much upon my temper it never was particularly good and i can't say i think it grows better oh say not so for this very hour i am going to put it to the test i want you to pray major do not ask me to do anything particularly obliging for to say the truth i am in no humour for it it has occurred to me more than once major allen since you set off so suddenly that it is likely enough there may be another lady in the case and that the promise you got out of me was perhaps for no other purpose in the world but to make fun of me by showing it to her hell and furies growled the major inwardly she will stick to me like a leech oh dream not of such villainy he exclaimed it was concerning that dear promise that i wished to speak to you my sweet martha methinks that promise i tell you what major allen cried the widow vehemently if you don't let me see that promise this very moment nothing on earth shall persuade me that you have not given it in jest to some other woman good heaven he replied what a moment have you chosen for the expression of this cruel suspicion i was on the very verge of telling you that i deemed such a promise unworthy a love so pure so perfect as ours and therefore if you would indulge my fond desire you would let each of us receive our promise back again the major was really and truly in a state of the most violent perturbation as he uttered these words fearing that the fond and jealous widow might suspect the truth and hold his pledge with a tenacity beyond his power to conquer he had however no sooner spoken than a smile of irrepressible delight banished the frowns in which she had dressed herself and she uttered in a voice of the most unaffected satisfaction if you will really do that major allen i can't suspect any longer you know that you have given mine to any one else assuredly not most beautiful angel cried the delighted lover thus then let us give back these paper ties and be bound only by the widow stretched out her hand for the document which he had already taken from his pocket-book but to yield this though he had no wish to keep it was not the object nearest his heart holding it therefore playfully above his head he said let not one of us dearest seem more ready than the other in this act of mutual confidence give mine with one hand as you receive your own with the other now then said mrs barnaby eagerly extending both her hands in order at once to give and take now then replied the major joyously imitating her action and the next instant each had seized the paper held by the other with an avidity greatly resembling that with which a zealous player pounces upon the king when she has the ace in the hand at shorts now mrs barnaby i will wish you good morning said the gentleman as he tore the little document to atoms i have been fortunate enough since i last enjoyed the happiness of seeing you to discover the exact locality of silverton park and the precise pedigree of your beautiful greys the equanimity of the widow was shaken for a moment but no longer she too had been doing her best to annihilate the precious morsel of paper and rising majestically she scattered the fragments on the ground saying in a tone at least as triumphant as his own and i major allen or whatever else your name may chance to be have since last i had the felicity of seeing you enjoyed the edifying spectacle of beholding your friend captain maitry alias purdham in the hands of justice for assisting your faithful servant william in breaking open my boxes and robbing me should the circumstance be still unknown to you i fear you may be disappointed to hear that both my money and plate have been recovered 
there may be some fanciful difference between silverton park and a snug property at silverton but i rather suspect that of the two i have gained most by our morning's work farewell sir if you will take my advice you will not continue much longer in clifton i may feel myself called upon to hint to the magistrates that it might assist the ends of justice if you were taken up and examined as an accomplice in this affair the lady had decidedly the best of it as ladies always should have for the crestfallen major looked as if he must had he been poetically inclined have exclaimed in the words of comus she fables not i feel that i do fear and without any farther attempt to carry off the palm of victory he made his way downstairs and it is now many years since he has been heard of in the vicinity of clifton chapter ten a disagreeable breakfast-table mr stephenson gives his friend colonel hubert warning to depart a proposal and its consequences mrs barnaby and major allen were not the only persons to whom that twenty-sixth of april proved an eventful day colonel hubert and his friend stephenson met as usual at the breakfast-table and it would be difficult to say which of them was the most preoccupied and the most unfit for ordinary conversation stephenson however though vexed at not being already the betrothed husband of his lovely agnes was full of hopeful anticipation and his unfitness for conversation arose rather from the fulness of his heart than the depression of his spirits not so colonel hubert it was hardly possible to suffer from a greater feeling of melancholy dissatisfaction with all things than he did on the morning after mrs peter's concert that the despised agnes the niece of the hateful mrs barnaby had risen in his estimation to be considered as the best the first the loveliest of created beings was not the worst misfortune that had fallen upon him there was indeed a degree of perversity in the case that almost justified his thinking himself the most unfortunate of mortals after having attained the sober age of thirty-seven years if not untouched at least uninjured by all the reiterated volleys which he had stood from cupid's quiver it was certainly rather provoking to find himself falling distractedly in love with a little obscure girl young enough to be his daughter and perhaps from the unhappy circumstance of her dependence upon such a relative as mrs barnaby the very last person in the world with whom he would have wished to connect himself this was bad enough but even this was not all with the airs of a senior and a mentor he had taken upon himself to lecture his friend upon the preposterous absurdity of giving way to such an attachment thus rendering it almost morally impossible for him under any imaginable circumstances to ask the love of agnes even though something in his inmost heart whispered to him that he should not ask in vain nor did the catalogue of his embarrassments end here for he was placed vis-a-vis -vis to his open-hearted friend who he was quite certain would within five minutes begin again the oft-repeated confidential avowal of his love accompanied probably with renewed assurances of his intentions to make proposals which colonel hubert from what he had seen last night fancied himself quite sure would never be accepted what a wretched what a hopeless dilemma was he placed in was he to see the man he professed to love expose himself to the misery of offering his hand in defiance of a thousand obstacles to a woman who he felt almost sure would reject him or could he interfere to prevent it at the very moment that his heart told him nothing but the pretensions of frederick could prevent his proposing to her himself colonel hubert sat stirring his coffee in moody silence and dreading to hear frederick open his lips but his worst fears as to what he might utter were soon realized by stephenson's exclaiming 
well hubert it is still to do i was defeated last night but it shall not be my fault if i go to rest this without receiving her promise to become my wife her aunt is a horror a monster anything everything you may please to call her but agnes is an angel and agnes must be mine colonel hubert looked more gloomy still but he continued to stir his coffee and said nothing how can you treat me thus hubert said the young man reproachfully there is a proud superiority in the affected silence a thousand times more mortifying than are things you could say begin again to revile me as heretofore for my base endurance of a barnaby describe the vexation of my brother the indignation of my sisters that would be infinitely more endurable than such contemptuous silence my dear dear frederick i know not what to say replied the agitated hubert had my words the power to make you leave this place within the hour i would use my last breath to speak them for certain am i frederick i am almost surely certain that this suit can bring you nothing but misery and disappointment let me acknowledge that the young lady herself is worthy of all love admiration and reverence i truly think so i believe it i am sure of it but and here colonel hubert stopped short resumed his coffee-cup and said no more this is intolerable sir said the vexed frederick go on if you please say all you have to say but stop not thus at unshaped insinuations more injurious more insulting far than anything your eloquence could find the power to utter frederick you mistake me i insinuate nothing i believe in my inmost soul that agnes willoughby is one of the most faultless beings upon earth but this will not prevent your suit to her from being a most unhappy one forget her frederick travel a while my dear friend leave her stephenson and your future years will be the happier colonel hubert the difference in our ages is your only excuse for the unnatural counsel you so coldly give you are no longer a young man sir you no longer are capable of judging for one who is and i confess to you that for the present i think our mutual enjoyment would rather be increased than lessened were we to separate if i remember rightly you purposed when we came here to stay only till your sister's marriage was over it is now a fortnight since that event took place and it is probably solely out of a compliment to me that you remain here if so let me release you in future times i hope we may meet with pleasanter feelings than any we can share at present and besides my stay here which for aught i know may be prolonged for months will under probable circumstances throw me a good deal into intimacy and intercourse with your detested mrs barnaby wherein i certainly cannot wish or desire that you should follow me and therefore all things considered you must hold me excused if i say that i should hear of your departure from clifton with pleasure colonel hubert rose from his seat and walked about the room he felt that his heart was softer at that moment than befitted the age with which frederick reproached him he was desired to absent himself by one for whose warm-hearted young love he had perhaps neglected the soberer friendships of superior men and that too at a moment when he felt that he more than ever deserved a continuance of that love was he not at that instant crushing with spartan courage a passion within his own breast which he believed secretly silently unacknowledged even to his own heart to be returned and this terrible sacrifice was made not because his pride opposed his yielding to it but because he could not have endured the idea of supplanting frederick even when it should be acknowledged that no shadow of hope remained for him and for this it was that he was thus insultingly desired to depart generous hubert a few moments struggle decided him he resolved to go and that immediately 
he would not remain to witness the broken spirit of his hot-headed friend after he should have received the refusal which as he so strongly suspected awaited him neither would he expose himself to the danger of seeing agnes afterwards without as yet replying to frederick he rang the bell and desired that post-horses might immediately be ordered for his carriage and his valet told to prepare his trunks for travelling with as little delay as possible these directions given the friends were once more tete-a-tete -tete, and then colonel hubert ventured to trust his voice and answer the harsh language he had received frederick he said you have spoken as you would not have done had you given yourself a little more time for consideration for you have spoken unkindly and unjustly i would still prevail on you if i could to turn away from this lovely girl without committing yourself by making her an offer of marriage i would strongly advise this i would strongly advise your remembering while it is yet time the pang it may cost you should anything in short believe me you would suffer less by leaving clifton immediately with me than by remaining under circumstances which i am sure will turn out inimical to your happiness will you be advised and let us depart together no colonel hubert i will not i have no wish to detain you i have already said this with sufficient frankness be equally wise on your side and do not attempt to drag me away in your train these were pretty nearly the last words which were exchanged between them frederick stephenson soon left the house to wander about till the hour arrived for making his visit in rodney place and in less than two hours colonel hubert was driving rapidly through bristol on his way to london as soon as mrs barnaby and the friendly mr peters were fairly off the premises and on their road to look after the thief mary called a consultation on the miserably jaded looks of poor agnes and having her own particular reasons for not choosing that she should look half dead inasmuch as she was persuaded the promised visit of frederick was not intended to be for nothing she peremptorily insisted upon her taking sal volatile bathing her eyes in cold water and then either lying on the sofa or taking a walk upon the down till luncheon-time that being the usual hour of mr stephenson's morning visits agnes submitted herself very meekly to all this discipline save the depositing herself on the sofa to which she objected vehemently deciding for the walk on the down as the only thing at all likely to cure her headache it was on their way to this favourite magazine of fresh air that mr stephenson met them to agnes the rencontre was an extreme annoyance for she wanted to be quiet and this was what frederick stephenson never permitted her to be but she could not run away and so she continued to walk on till just after passing the turnpike she discovered that mary and elizabeth peters were considerably in their rear this tete-a-tete -tete, however cost her not the slightest embarrassment and if she was to be talked to instead of being permitted to sink into the dark but downy depths of meditation which was now her greatest indulgence it mattered very little to her who was the talker she stopped however from politeness to her friends and a sort of natural instinct of bienseance towards herself saying i was not aware mr stephenson that we had been walking so fast i think we had better turn back to them may i entreat you miss willoughby said the young man to remain a few moments longer alone with me it is not that you have walked fast but your friends have walked slowly for they at least i plainly perceive have read my secret and it is possible that you agnes have not read it also is it possible that you have yet to learn how fervently i love you no young girl hears such an avowal as this for the first time without feeling considerable agitation and embarrassment but many things contributed to increase these feelings tenfold in the case of agnes for first which is rarely the case the declaration was wholly unexpected secondly it was wholly unwelcome and thirdly 
it inspired a feeling of acute terror lest flattering and advantageous as she knew such a proposal to be it might tempt her friends or set on her terrible aunt to disturb her with solicitations which by only hearing them would profane the sentiment to which she had secretly devoted herself for ever greatly however as she wished to answer him at once and definitely she was unable to articulate a single word will you not speak to me agnes resumed frederick after a painful pause will you not tell me what i may hope in return for the truest affection that ever warmed the heart of man will you not even look at me agnes now stood still as if to recover breath she knew that he had a right to expect an answer from her and she knew that sooner or later she should be compelled to speak it so making an effort as great perhaps in its self-command as many that have led a hero to eternal fame she said but without raising her eyes from the ground mr stephenson i am very sorry indeed that you love me because it is quite quite impossible i should ever love you in return good god miss willoughby it is thus you answer me do you know that the words you utter so lightly so coldly must if persisted in doom me to a life of misery can you hear this agnes and feel no touch of pity pray do not talk in that way mr stephenson it gives me so very much pain then you will unsay those cruel words you will tell me that time and faithful constant love may do something for me oh tell me it shall be so but i cannot tell you so mr stephenson said agnes with the most earnest emphasis it would be most wicked to do so because it would be untrue you are very young and very gay mr stephenson and i cannot think that what i have said can vex you long particularly if you will believe it at once and talk no more about it and now i think that we had better walk back to mary if you please having said this she turned about and began to walk rapidly towards clifton can this be possible said the young man greatly agitated so young and seemingly so gentle and yet so harsh and so determined oh agnes why did you not let me guess this end to all my hopes before they had grown so strong you must have seen my love my adoration you must have known that every earthly hope for me depended upon you no 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 cried agnes greatly distressed i never knew it i never guessed it how should i guess what was so very unlikely unlikely are you laughing at me agnes unlikely ask your friends ask miss peters if she thought it unlikely i do not believe so strange a thought ever entered her head mr stephenson for if it had i am sure she would have put me on my guard against it on your guard against it miss willoughby what is there in my situation fortune or character that should render it necessary for your friend to put you on your guard against me surely you use strange language then do not make me talk any more about it mr stephenson it is very likely that i may express myself amiss for i am so sorry and so vexed that indeed i hardly know what to say but pray forgive me and do not be unhappy about me any longer agnes you love another suddenly exclaimed frederick his face becoming crimson there is no other way of accounting for such cold indifference such hard insensibility agnes coloured as violently in her turn and bursting into tears said with great displeasure that is what nobody in the world has a right to say to me and i will never if i can help it permit you to say it again she now increased her speed and had nearly reached the mrs peters notwithstanding all the beautiful summer flowers they had found by the wayside 
saying no more in reply either to the remonstrances or the passionate pleadings of mr stephenson when at length he laid his hand upon her arm and detained her a while he said agnes if you accept my love and consent to be my wife i will release you from the power of your aunt place you in a splendid home and surround you with friends as pure-minded and as elegant as yourself is this nothing answer me then one word and one word only is your refusal of my hand and my affection final yes sir said agnes still weeping for his accusation of her having another love continued to ring in her ears and make her heart swell almost to bursting speak not in anger agnes said he mildly what i have felt for you does not deserve such a return i know it i know it replied agnes weeping more violently still and i am very wrong as well as very unhappy pray mr stephenson forgive me and she held out her hand to him he took it and held it for a moment between both his unhappy agnes he said why should you be unhappy oh if my love my devotion could render you otherwise but you will not trust me you will not let me pass my life in labouring to make yours happy nothing can make me happy mr stephenson pray do not talk any more about it for indeed indeed i cannot be your wife he abruptly raised her hand to his lips and then let it fall may heaven bless and make you happy in your own way whatever that may be he cried and turning from her reached the verge of the declivity that overhung the river then plunging down it with very heedless haste he was out of sight immediately this was a catastrophe wholly unexpected by miss peters who now hastened to meet the disconsolate-looking agnes what in the world could you have said to him my dear to send him off in that style i trust that you have not quarrelled most unfeignedly distressed and embarrassed was agnes at this appeal and the more so because her friend mary was not alone to her perhaps she might have been able to tell the terrible adventure which had befallen her but before elizabeth it was impossible and pressing mary's arm she said in a whisper ask me no questions dearest mary now for i cannot answer them wait only till we get home but to wait in a state of such tormenting uncertainty was beyond the philosophy of mary so she suddenly stopped saying elizabeth walk on slowly for a few minutes will you i have something that i particularly wish to say to agnes and the good-natured elizabeth walked on without ever turning her head to look back at them what has happened what has he said to you and what have you said to him hastily inquired the impatient friend oh mary he has made me so very unhappy and the whole thing is so extremely strange i cannot hide anything from you mary but it will kill me should you let my aunt hear of it he has made me an offer mary of course agnes i know he has but how does that account for his running off in that strange wild way and how does it account for your crying and looking so miserable why did he run away as if he were afraid to see us agnes and when are you going to see him again i shall never see him again mary said agnes gravely then you have quarrelled good heaven what folly i suppose he said something about your aunt that you fancied was not civil but all things considered agnes ought you not to have forgiven it indeed mary he said nothing that was rude about my aunt and i am sure he did not mean to be uncivil in any way though certainly he hurt and offended me very much but perhaps he did not intend it hurt and offended you agnes let me beg you to tell me at once what it was he did say to you i will tell you everything but one and that i own to you i had rather not repeat and it does not signify for that was not the reason he ran off so 
and what was the reason a very foolish one indeed and i am sure you will laugh at it it was only because i said i could not marry him you said that agnes you said you could not marry him yes i did i do not wish to marry him indeed i would not marry him for the world and this is the end of it all exclaimed miss peters with much vexation i have much mistaken you agnes i thought you were suffering greatly from being dependent on your aunt barnaby and do you doubt it now mary how can i continue to think this when you have just refused an offer of marriage from a young man well born nobly allied with a splendid fortune extremely handsome and possessed as i truly believe of more excellent and amiable qualities and often fall to the share of any mortal how can i believe after this that you really feel unhappy from the circumstances of your present situation all you say is very true and i cannot deny a word of it but what can one do mary if one does not happen to love a man you would not have one marry him would you how like a child you talk why should you not love him with manners so agreeable such excellent qualities and a fortune beyond that of many noblemen but you don't suppose i could love him the better for his being rich do you mary you are a little fool agnes and i know not what to suppose perhaps my dear you think him too old for you perhaps you will not choose to fall in love till you meet an adonis about your own age it is you who are talking nonsense now replied agnes with some warmth so far from his being too old i think that is to say i don't think i mean that i suppose everybody would think people a great deal older might be a great deal but this is all nothing to the purpose mary i would not marry mr stephenson if but let us say no more on the subject only for pity's sake do not let my aunt know anything about it she shall not hear it from me agnes replied miss peters but i cannot understand you you have disappointed me however i have no right to be angry and so as you say we will talk no more about it come let us overtake elizabeth we must not let her go all the way to clifton in solitary state and so ended the very promising trial at matchmaking upon which the pretty mary peters had wasted so many useless meditations it was a useful lesson to her for she has never been known to interfere in any affair of the kind since End of chapters nine and ten